Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. Welcome to our show, Polygamy, What Love Is This? We're grateful for our viewers, and we hope you enjoy the show we have planned for you tonight. I am your host, Doris Hansen. I was born and raised in a polygamy group here in Utah under Joseph Smith's plan of polygamy for salvation. But I later discovered the truth, which the Bible refers to as the good news of Jesus Christ. A few weeks ago, Todd Friel, who is the host of the TV and radio programs entitled Wretched, he was in our area to proclaim the good news message of Jesus Christ. And we asked him if he would grant us an interview while he was here that we could use for our own television show. He graciously agreed. And so tonight's show is our interview with Todd Friel. Because of the length of our discussion and because it was so rich with great information, rather than cut uh, the interview short, we are cutting the introduction of our show short tonight. And so without, uh, with, with our regular show opening, we're going to let that go. And without further ado, we hope that you enjoy the interview with Todd Friel as much as we enjoyed interview him. So let's watch. The, the Mormonist culture, which includes Mormon church as well as the polygamy groups, they believe that children are born righteous. They believe that they were born without sin and that they don't become sinners until they sin. Mm-hmm. And usually that's an eight-year-old eight mm-hmm. uh, time point in their lives. But you have a show that you call Wretched. Yep. Why do you, wh- who's wretched and why do, you, why do you have it called? I can prove <laughs> that kids are sinners. All right? Uh-huh. This is very simple. Go to Chuck E. Cheese's. That's a good point, isn't Kids are it? sinners. But, you know, there should be one thing that is more provable than anything else in the world, and that is that kids are little sinners. The theological problem with saying that kids aren't sinners, it undermines the authority of Scripture. It does. Romans 5 teaches us very clearly that we are inheritors. We are in Adam when we are born. Mm-hmm. He is our federal head, our representative, represents us as a sinner, so we're born in sin. And what did, what did David say? In sin was I born. In mm-hmm. iniquity right. did my mother conceive my mother me in Psalm 51. So biblically, we're born sinners. Now that's a different issue about whether or not children are credited with sin because right. they're doing it willingly or, or without knowledge. Different issue. But to state that they don't sin, I think is to simply be very oblivious to just the way that kids behave. You can see, you can see it with kids. I think anybody uh-huh. who's yeah. a parent knows the difference in a child's cry of, I've got myself a hungry tummy or a dirty diaper versus I want it and I want it now. That's right. Put two kids together in a room with some toys. Right. That's right. See who's fighting over which toys very fast. And so your show called Wretched is referring to the wretchedness of our sinful nature or is it something else? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. If the title worked for the Apostle Paul, and I got a funny feeling he was a holier fellow than me. He called himself a wretched man. Yes, Who will, how can I escape this body of death? But thanks be to God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, we're given the victory because of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So we see ourselves as justified and yet sinning. The reformers used a Latin term, simul justus et peccator. We are simultaneously justified 
and yet we are mm -hmm. sinning. And we see that really backed up in 1 John 1. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Mm -hmm. The truth is not in us. But if we stopped there, we'd be pretty despairing. But it goes on to say, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, all of it. So we are justified. We are given, are given right standing because of what mm -hmm. Jesus did. And yet... We are not yet glorified, Romans 8. We will be someday, right. but here we are, mm -hmm. this side of the veil, struggling with sin, battling with sin, hating sin. So Christian sin, we don't like it, but we do sin. But we're justified. Is that why you called it wretched? You want people to notice? Yeah, you, you know, know I, really I, focus it, on it, the it came from a t-shirt. I saw somebody had a t-shirt and it said, uh, I am the wretch the song refers to. Oh, okay. And it caught my attention. And so the word, that word wretch was stuck in my brain. And I ran the idea by my friend, Ray Comfort. I think you maybe know Ray mm -hmm. Comfort, the evangelist. Mm -hmm. And I said, Ray, the word wretch. And he said, no, you can't do that. That sounds like what a cat does. You know, <laughs> so that's not, that's not going to work. And he said, well, how's about wretched? And so we lived with that because we also knew that if you ever say to somebody, I saw this show called Wretched, mm -hmm. or you wear a t-shirt that says wretched, it automatically opens up the door for a witness encounter. Mm -hmm. What's it does. What, wretched? It does. Wretched, what is that all about? And you can explain why you're a wretch who's been saved by grace and why they're a wretch who needs to be well, saved know, by grace. You know, it wasn't until I became a Christian and actually understood the words of amazing grace that mm -hmm. saved a wretch like me. Right. And then the word wretch hit home. Yeah. I realized, not before I was saved, I didn't realize I was a wretch. But after right. after I realized what Jesus had done for me, then I knew I was yeah, a wretch. Yeah, that's what, that's what the cross does. You know, the, the cross just screams, you you got big problems. Yeah. Because you know, God yeah. had to come and die exactly. for us. So that indicates you got a problem. Uh -huh. Last night, we had a lovely time at a banquet. Yes. And I had dinner with four atheists actually came to the, the Christian banquet for oh, the Christian. Nice. You know, it was sweet. And the one young lady was typical of all of us. She said, you know, you Christians that, you know, you think you're bad. She said, I just, you know, I, I've got a daughter and I take care of her. And I, I even gave you people some money. Mm -hmm. She was proclaiming her own goodness with mm -hmm. her mouth, which mm -hmm. the Bible says we will all do. And the difference between somebody who's not saved and somebody who is, is they still believe that they are good enough. The Christian understands, oh, we're not. We're not good we're enough. We not. know we're sinners. We just know we're not good enough and, and are not worthy of God's grace. And you know, and, and the thing, though, that needs to be emphasized as soon as we understand that, but God, yeah. but God was so kind. God doesn't save spanky, cleaned up people. He saves the dirtiest of the dirty That's because right. it reveals how good he is. Mm -hmm. So the gospel convicts us, yes, that mm -hmm. we are very wretched and very bad, but the gospel also tells us God is very good and God is very loving. And sometimes miss, people miss the comfort in that, but they don't understand that if God's love for them was predicated on something about them, the way they dress, their sense of humor, their looks, imagine when those looks go away, when the clothing becomes tattered, uh-oh, God doesn't love me anymore. God doesn't base his love on us, mm -hmm. our performance, our supposed good deeds. He bases his love for us on his love on for who us, he is. on who yeah. he is. And then at night I can go to sleep going, wow, I'm going to wake up tomorrow and he's still going to love me. I'm going to go to bed me. and it's not based on my performance. It's based on the performance of Jesus and, and then, it causes me to love him more. And then even, even after we sin and, and after we do right. maybe a sin that we think is a huge, uh, you know, boo-boo right. kind of thing, yeah. we know he still loves us. 
Yeah. We don't have to do penance. We don't have to wait for a week before he gets right. ang his anger goes away and loves us again. Right. He still loves us immediately during and after the sin. Yeah, that's that amazing grace part. Yes. Yeah, and so Absolutely. when we realize that we are still sinning and yet justified, it causes us to be humble, and yet it also causes us to be filled with joy. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, in, I was raised in a polygamy group. I was yeah. my father had two wives. Uh, we were um, uh, the second wife. My mother was the second wife, so we were the second family. And th our group, as well as our home, as well as our culture, all taught, all believed and were taught that Jesus is our brother, mm -hmm. that he was uh, born, pre-existed, that we all pre-existed, mother and father heaven in heaven, had all these spirit babies and Jesus is just an older brother. Mm -hmm. Tell tell me what, from a biblical standpoint, it's not in the Bible, I know it isn't in the Bible. In fact, that was one of the most first profound things I found after I became a Christian. It wasn't there. What is so dangerous? And and as, as you answer the question, there are some people who do come out of this culture who become Christians, but they say, that's just a technicality. Mm. What does it matter? Yeah. What does it matter? Oh, it matters a lot. When we see, for instance, in the Bible, Jesus himself in John chapter 5, we see something fascinating happen. We see a, a Christological and a soteriological battle happen. Fascinating big terms for understanding Jesus Christ right and understanding salvation right. So we got ourselves a big battle set up in John chapter 5. Jesus is in Jerusalem for the temple, for, the, for a celebration. We don't know which one. And there's people everywhere and Jesus heals a man who had been lame for 38 years. Mm -hmm. The Pharisees responded by saying, what are you doing carrying your mat? Can you imagine? Yeah, yeah. They missed the whole joy yeah. of everything because they thought it was violating a Sabbath law. So Jesus then is dealing with these Pharisees who couldn't find joy in a man being healed. And he does some open air preaching. And he goes about the business of presenting five witnesses to testify that he is the Son of God mm -hmm. himself, he uses his own self like they would have to do in the Sanhedrin based on Deuteronomy 16 to present mm -hmm. two witnesses. So himself, John the Baptist, he brought him forward as mm -hmm. a witness. He brought his works forward, the miracles that he did. He then presented the father who testified of him at the baptism that Jesus is who he claims to be. Mm -hmm. And then he said something, the big one was his fifth witness was the scriptures testify about me. And he was confronting the Pharisees and stating, and he said it very clear, and I think it's about verse 23, if you do not honor the Son, you do not honor the Father. Now that is a word that would be spoken to anybody who is in the Mormon religion. If you do not rightly understand the Son, you do not have the Father. And then John tells us at the end of the book, I write these things that you might know that Jesus is the Christ, and in believing you mm -hmm. might have life. And then he wrote First John, because he was confronting the error that was being taught, First John two, about a different Jesus, a different that he wasn't that he wasn't fully God, mm -hmm. fully man, the eternally existing Son of the Father, mm -hmm. but that he was an elevated man. And then in Second John we see him writing again: If you don't understand Jesus Christ right, you don't have the right you God. Don't have the right so God. I, if I have an understanding of God that is wrong enough, I'm not actually believing in the right God. And so Jesus' words in John chapter 5 would speak to anybody today, you've got to have your Jesus theology right. If you don't, you don't have the Father because you you're not worshiping him. the right God. Mm -hmm. So if I said to you, you know, I love Elvis. Oh, I just love Elvis. Uh, he, was, uh, he, was, uh, he lived in Cincinnati 
and uh, he was married to a woman named Brenda, and he was a great accountant. I just love Elvis. You go, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're, you're talking about a different Elvis. Different no, 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 I'm talking about the same Elvis. Yeah, he sang and, he sang and played the guitar, so it's the same Elvis. And right? we're not talking about the same Elvis. Yeah. So the same thing is true with Jesus. If my details about Jesus are wrong, the Bible makes it clear, theology matters. And if you don't have your theology right about Jesus, you do not have his righteousness credited to your account. God is a stickler on details. So you have to believe in the person whom he says he is That's right. in order to have the salvation he promises That's to That's right. Now when he came, uh, when Jesus came into the, the uh, period of time that he was born into the Jewish culture, mm -hmm. they knew, didn't they know that when he called himself the Son of God, that that in their minds is saying, I am God. Yeah, oh, they... They knew that meant he was God. Well, when he said, I and the Father are one, uh -huh. that was very clear. When he actually said other things too, he made the I am statements before Abraham was, and he called himself I am, mm -hmm. when he said that was God's name. They knew exactly that he was talking about he his was deity. He was God. John chapter 5, they wanted to kill him <clears throat> because he was doing two things, breaking the Sabbath laws, not understanding he's the Lord of the Sabbath, right. and proclaiming equality with God. Mm -hmm. They got it loud and clear, and we have to get that loud and clear today, or people will not be saved. It is important if, that Jesus is Lord, and when they say, if you, press, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and when they say Lord, they're meaning God, that's right. Lord God. Yeah, that's right. And in Romans chapter 10, really what's in view in the historical context is the emperor, you were supposed to proclaim the emperor as Lord, mm -hmm. as God. Mm -hmm. And if you proclaim somebody else was, that was basically like saying, go ahead and kill me. Yeah. That's, but that's what's, that's what's asked of us. That's what it is, okay. Um, in the culture in Utah, I, I, I would call it definitely a fulfillment of what Jesus said in his warning about the sheep and the wolves that there would be false prophets come and they would be like the wolves um, among the sheep. Uh, we see that happening all over. We see your show and you're talking about it. Um, almost every show you, you, you bring up the, the compromising that's going on in the Christian church because the wolves are among the sheep. Mm -hmm. uh, would you explain why you think that being, why we know that being tolerant of all religions is so dangerous? Yeah, there's, boy, you said an awful lot there. You know, that I think Satan's playbook really adjusted a little bit. Initially, we saw assaults from outside of the church, but then we started seeing things right inside of the church. I mean, Jude talks about this, Second Peter, those among you, they're wolves among mm -hmm. you. So they present themselves as light, but they're actually warring against God. And so what we see are people inside of the church that are false teachers. And today we see it so much. We see postmodernism, I think, influencing evangelicalism far more than we realize. The postmodern mindset that says, it, all truth is valid truth. That's your path. Yeah, Good yeah, for you. Yeah. I'm on a completely different path, but they're both equally valid. Well, that's a lovely escape for reality. And that nobody lives like that, by the way. And it's a way to avoid Jesus' statement of, I am the way, the truth, the right, life. Right. Now, that influence, I think, has made its way into evangelicalism, mm -hmm. where we want to be careful that we're not judgmental, that we're not intolerant, that we broaden and expand, have a big tent. Well, right now, the tent has got wolves inside yes, of it. Yes, it does. And it's, it's staggering. There are open theists, people who don't believe that God knows the future, mm. who are considered evangelicals. I know one open theist who won a gold medallion award for his book on open theism. Yeah. He now believes in praying to Mary, 
He believes in purgatory. <clears throat> He's a universalist, and he believes that abortion is okay in the first trimester. And nobody says boo. Now, that's the compromise that, that we see going on in the culture. And yes. It is destroying and the church. So, so much in the church itself. That's yeah. true. And then accepting uh, one of the battles we have here locally is more are Mormons Christian. The polygamous people, I hear them say all yeah. the time they believe they're Christian. However, when I was growing up, we didn't want to be known as Christians. Yeah, that's right. It's but been a change. now all of a sudden, and the Christians are expected to accept them mm -hmm. just because they say they are now, we're to accept them as if they are, and they refuse to be. Yeah, this is, this is a dramatic change in the history of Mormonism. And I, I think it started, give or take, probably about eight years ago, give or take. An evangelical publisher actually published a book by a Brigham Young University professor and the title was uh, A Different Jesus? Question mark. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. it was basically presenting the Jesus of Mormonism as the same that we should be evangelicals and Mormons together. Yeah. And hardly anybody said anything. And more than that, right now, for instance, Glenn Beck is being embraced by evangelicals because mm -hmm. they believe that Mormons can be co-belligerents. We do believe in some things that are similar about marriage and family. But in doing so, and we do it under the umbrella of God, Mm -hmm. It's an ecumenism that I think is devastating to the truth of Jesus. And our concern is this. If what I said is right about Jesus in John chapter 5, if you don't have the Son, you don't have the Father. This is not about, I want you to admit that you're wrong, you're dumb, mm -hmm. and I'm smarter than you, and I've got better theology than you. That is not what this is about. If Mormons don't have the right Jesus, they won't have their sins forgiven, right. and they will perish, That's and right. we don't want them to go to hell. This isn't about superiority. This is about salvation. It's about salvation, totally. And so you're absolutely right. What's going on right now in evangelicalism, the blurring of the distinctives is a watering down of the gospel. It's very dangerous. And it's eternally dangerous. Eternally dangerous. It has eternally consequences. Um, okay, can I ask you a question? Certainly. I, I'm so fascinated. You said you were the second mom. My mother was the second wife. Yeah, just the way the, the, the sec second, the second family. wife, uh -huh. the second family. Yeah, that phrase alone is just staggering to me. It is pretty debilitating <laughs> when you're growing up. I'll bet and it if was. you're a third or fourth or twelfth family, you know, we there's men that have um, fifteen or twenty wives. And so, as a more. child, to be the number seven family, how does a child feel about that? Well, first of all, we don't know who our father is normally. In most, in most polygamy groups, you don't know who your father is. Um, and you have a fake name, you have a fake father, because they have to make up a story for, for the mother having all these babies. I'm sorry, you don't, you don't know who you don't your know father is. You don't know who your father is. They can't, they can't tell you that your father is a polygamist, because polygamy is against the law. Mm -hmm. And so they make up a, 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 a false a story of who your father is. My father, uh, my father was... Um, a certain person that I didn't know who he was till I was about 10 years old when I was old enough to keep a secret. Mm -hmm. Actually, my older brother told me he was my father. I couldn't believe it. Mm. But they had made up a father for me and for the family. Mm -hmm. And his name was something that my real father's name wasn't. They gave us a fake false name. Mm -hmm. And my false father had a job that it was just a story, you know, false identity. Someone who didn't exist. Devastating. Yes. Devastating. Yes. And really built on a lie. Absolute no, lie. No, there's, there's got to be some but sort of justification. But we have to lie for the Lord. Yeah. It's God's kingdom. Yeah. And the only way that God's kingdom can survive, if necessary, we lie to protect the kingdom like God can't take care of him, his own. You know, but that's what they would tell us. And you know, in Islam, lies. there's a name for that. It's called taqiyya. 
that it is okay to lie for the cause of uh -huh. Allah. So uh -huh. it doesn't matter as long as the end result is... And that started with Joseph Smith. Mm -hmm. Joseph Smith lied about... He had 34 wives, and he lied about all of his wives up to almost the day of his, of his murder. Mm. He, he was lying about his own private polygamy. Well, I just heard Glenn Beck. Did you catch Glenn Beck's explanation for polygamy? No, I didn't. You're not going to get mad at me, are you? Well, I probably won't. Okay. <laughs> He said uh, that the reason that men had multiple wives was because there was a bounty on the head of Mormons and there were very few Mormon men. So to keep uh, this people group going, they had to have multiple wives. It only happened for a short time. And Glenn Beck, and I'll say this on the air, is a liar. because And he knows better. Because if he's a Mormon, he knows why they lived polygamy. Non-Mormons maybe don't know why Mormons live polygamy, but Mormons know why Mormons live polygamy because Joseph Smith had a revelation that you're supposed to do that. So why would he do, why would he, he say something like that to deceive a wolf? Well, I'll tell you, uh, Glenn is doing a marvelous job of blurring the distinctives and he's being embraced by evangelicals. If you saw his mm -hmm. Restoring Love campaign, he had evangelical pastors on the stage and he said, you know, I met with these men and they said, we just haven't responded the way we should. And Glenn said, and so God chose an alcoholic Mormon to help reclaim America. And they, the evangelical pastors applauded. Yeah, now yeah. that was just that devastating. That makes my blood cold. It, that is awful. <laughs> it really is. Well, let's talk about the foundation of, of Mormonism. It was established by Joseph Smith is polygamy. It, it is. He said he and Brigham Young and the first seven um, presidents of the Mormon church actually all were polygamists, and they all taught that polygamy was required in order for uh, the person to achieve or earn themselves eternal life. Um, they all taught that it was essential that it was a commandment of God, that it was the restoration of the Old Testament polygamous system, the patriarchal system. They have the patriarchal system even today in the, the Mormon and the polygamous communities. The purpose of polygamy was to raise up a righteous seed, and that would be children, to have righteous families. That was their purpose for polygamy, they said. And they put, believed then and now that polygamy helps a person reach perfection. So what, what I'd like from, is for your input on why the Bible doesn't support that, and speaking to the polygamous people, uh, explain why polygamy can never be part of the plan yeah. of salvation. Yeah, it's theological. It's very theological, and we'll also see in this why God hates divorce. God actually created marriage so that it could be a picture of something greater. We see in Genesis, when one man shall cleave, leave his father and mother, cleave to his woman. It's covenantal language, the same language that was used with the covenant between Israel and God. This is a till death do you part. That's where that language comes from. Right. Covenant language, one man, one woman, cleaving together. And we learned that in Ephesians chapter 5, just what exactly this picture is. It's laid out very clearly by Paul when he says, what I tell you is profound, the woman shall submit to the husband, which I know is abrasive language these days, but Jesus submitted to the Father, but just the same, and she shall stay with her husband. The husband will love his wife because in doing so, the woman plays the role of the church, mm -hmm. the man plays the role of Jesus. So it is a picture of the gospel for the world to see, oh, that's the gospel. He plays the role of Jesus, she plays the role of the church, his bride. Now. If that's the picture, suddenly Jesus would have multiple churches mm -hmm. and he would not be a faithful groom to the bride. 
And so theologically, having multiple wives undermines the theological picture of the gospel. That is why divorce is also problematic because Jesus doesn't divorce his church. Right. Jesus stays with his church and the gates of hell will not prevail over it. The mm -hmm. church never was totally apostate. That's it right. couldn't be. That's so Joseph true. Smith was kind of wrong out of the gate. <clears throat> the church wasn't apostate because then Jesus would have been wrong. So for a man to have multiple wives is a wrong picture of the gospel. Mm -hmm. Jesus would have different religions or different churches or different somethings, but it wouldn't be a correct picture of the gospel. So polygamy just can't be right. Exactly. Plus, it takes away from what he did at the cross. Well, you know, if, if polygamy could earn eternal life, why did well, Jesus die on the cross? That is, any, any work righteous system undermines the, uh, the work of Jesus at the cross. You know, Jesus, we see Jesus, if you will, as a ladder. And we think, okay, well then Jesus provided a ladder and then we climb up the ladder. No, 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 no. Right. Jesus provided the ladder and then he comes down the ladder and like a fireman puts us dead over his shoulders and carries us up to eternal life. That's the yeah. gospel. Yeah, that's the gospel. Mormonism teaches Jesus drops a rope and you've got to pull yourself up. Have multiple wives, uh -huh. ceremonies in the temple. Don't do this. Do that. Give that. Mm -hmm. Be this. Act like that. Deny that climb your way there. Now that's a rejection of the gospel. It is. It's a rejection of Jesus, what he did on the cross. And what we also see in Ephesians, the reason that the gospel is so glorious is because it makes God glorious. You see, if we could work our way even a little bit, then we can get to heaven and say, well, yeah, Jesus provided the atonement, but I did this, 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 and that. And it robs him of his glory. He came to get glory. Mm -hmm. And any work righteous system, which is every system besides biblical Christianity, exactly ultimately right. robs Jesus of his glory. And mm -hmm. he won't have it. Mm -hmm. Now he, he came he as says, a meek lamb. He I will lamb. not share my glory with He another. will not. And he shouldn't. No, he shouldn't. You know, and some people, especially if there's an atheist who is watching this, uh, that's a mega maniacal God. Yeah. Uh -huh. Well, okay, if I offered you, let's say I offered you some lovely fruit. And in the other hand, I offered you what I scooped up from your front lawn, from your, what kind of dog? You've got a poodle and it's, a... It's a little Shih Tzu poodle. Right. And I, and I, and I scooped that up and I, and I offered this to you. Now, I, I, I withhold this from you and I give you what is vile. I'm not nice at all. I'm nice if I give you the best thing. Mm -hmm. So what is the best thing in the universe? Jesus. Jesus. So if Jesus offered us anything else besides the best thing, it would be a lesser thing. It would be a vile thing. Mm -hmm. The kindest thing that God can offer us himself. is himself. That's right. And so when people go, well, he's, he's got a big ego. No, he's no, loving. No, he just wants us to have the best. The best. You know, it's the difference between prime rib and an In-N-Out burger. I'm kidding. No. I love In-N-Out burgers. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and, that, and that goes in with with uh, the the whole what the whole idea of that Joseph Smith used to become to a polygamist was we can learn to become gods if we're oh. polygamists. Oh, well. In fact, you don't have a chance. The highest the highest degree of the highest degree of glory yeah. are only those who live polygamy, and they are the ones who get to achieve godhood. Boy, I got to tell you, um, Luther called marriage a house of character. It's a school of character because. You know, when you live with another sinner, you know, you kind of get things rubbed off. But I also know this, living with other sinners causes me to sin too. I don't know how adding more sinners to a home is going to help me to become more like God exactly. Oh, how, a good point. However, it, it's funny, I was, I was, I was recently reading uh, somebody from the Mormon Church. I'm sorry, I can't cite the source. But you see, the devil doesn't want people to know that they can become like God. 
So that that's why you know people. The devil doesn't want people, people to, to know, know that they can that become, like, become God. like God. You see, so that's why in Mormonism, you know, we want people to know that they can become gods themselves. Well, that's just certifiably false. What well, was the yeah. first lie in the garden? The first lie in the garden is you can become like God if you rebel against God. That should be the end of the story. That's what caused Satan's fall, was he wanted to become like God. Tower of Babel. Mm -hmm. That was the temptation of the devil in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. So the, the whole concept that we can become, now it appeals to our sinful nature because my default position is, well, I think I'm really, really good. I'm self-righteous. I'm the best thing in the universe. So it appeals to our sinful sense, not to anything that is biblical. I mean, that's pretty puffed up. Yes, very, you know, very, very puffed up. Very puffed up. And of course, uh, to, to be fair to the entire culture, we're talking about the polygamous culture and, and that you have to be polygamous to become a god. That's what they taught originally. Yeah. Now, of course, the Mormon church itself has, has modified that mm -hmm. and they've, they've redefined uh, celestial marriage. Celestial marriage was polygamy. Now they've redefined it and called it eternal marriage where you have to go into the temple and become sealed for eternity. What is wrong with that doctrine? In a word, immutability is the problem with that word. Our God does not change. He's not like shifting shadows. He's mm -hmm. the same yesterday, today, forever. So if God's plan was this on Monday, but it becomes that on Tuesday, it goes contrary to the doctrine of God's character of immutability that he's never changing. Mm -hmm. One day he doesn't mm -hmm. say you get to heaven like this and the next day you get to heaven like that. Mm -hmm. One day he doesn't say this is right and that is wrong. He never changes. And so when we see that, for instance, also the priesthood in Mormonism, mm -hmm. marriage, that's God changing his mind. Yeah. And God does not change his change. mind in that sense. Not in that sense. And then, of course, Jesus said that there are no marriages in heaven. That's the problem. And that is a big problem. I've never really got a very good answer from either Mormons or polygamists when I asked them that question. What does that mean when Jesus said that if you believe that families are forever mm -hmm. and you're going to have marriage, whether it's one wife or 25 wives? Right. What's, what did Jesus mean when he said that? Was he lying or did he just not know? Well, one of the things that I, I, I would challenge anybody who's a Mormon to do, and I think you would agree with this, read your New Testament, read your Bible, read the words of Jesus. Now, what you've heard about Jesus, but read the words of Jesus. And I think you come away from that realizing, I think he's got a different message than the message of Mormonism. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. his words sure. all harmonize. You know. And, in biblical Christianity, you really don't have to wrestle with things like that. We've got some verses that are tricky, but nothing that gets us so tied up in knots that it causes us to go, uh-oh, Jesus clearly said there's no marriage in heaven, and my church is teaching there is? Yeah. Uh-oh. So harmonizing the two, somebody's got it wrong Something's here. Somebody's got it wrong. That's exactly right. So who does have it it's wrong? It's not Jesus. A another thing that I, that's, that is true. That's right. so true. Um, the women especially who go into mm. a, uh, plural marriage or celestial marriage or polygamy, whichever you, yeah. you want to call it, they will take oaths and covenants uh, to be faithful to their husband during time and eternity, time mm -hmm. here yeah. and eternity uh, because they're going to have live polygamy there when they get into heaven. There are times when a woman, and I've talked to some of them, who want to leave, our ministry deals with helping people get out of polygamy. That's mm -hmm. that's one of the things that we do as well. 
and they they'll be interested in leaving but they there was a lot of fear a lot of guilt yeah. one of the the most profound fears that they have are those oaths that they took mm -hmm. um, and I try to explain to them any oath that you take first of all Jesus said let your yes be yes and your no be your no and everything else is from the evil one but polygamy is not God's will he he really did not command it you can't find it in the Bible but they think they're bound by those oaths because they took them. Would you speak to that? Yeah, that's, that's you know, that's, honestly, that's just heartbreaking to hear. Um, it's true. I, this is my, this is really, I, I, I was here in, in Salt Lake once before. I wasn't a Christian, though, and this is, this is, it's going to take me some days to, to deal with this trip, uh, <laughs> really. Yeah. And, 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 and think this through a little bit because... You know, you hear about the prevalence of Mormonism in a town. I'm seeing it. And, you know, you can read a story and you can hear about somebody, but meeting them and, and realizing that, you know, we're talking about people here. Mm -hmm. We're talking, we're talking about, about souls. And we're talking about lives that are, are, are messed up and goofed up. And, and the thing that I would say to anybody who is in that is, look, if you think you've messed it up, let me tell you, you're looking at the biggest mess up of all time. And the first thing that I would remind them is, you know, if you took a wrong oath, if you've done sinful things, you know what? I would simply invite you to join the club. Christianity is not the club for perfect people. It is the club for people who have sinned and will be forgiven by a completely good God. So, you know what? He'll heal you of that. He'll help you through that. And you will figure those things out but what I would say to you as a salve and a bomb is that there is no sin that you can commit that is too big, that is too egregious, that God's grace cannot cover. So the most important thing that we can discuss with you is let's make sure that your sins mm -hmm. are forgiven. Mm -hmm. And then you know what? We'll take some time and we'll figure so out we'll these issues because they're complicated and there's children involved and it's difficult. But you know and what? And the children are born under the covenant, so the children belong to them, yeah. the group, not the... Normally, yeah, and especially just, in one of the groups in the southern Utah, the children belong to the priesthood, not to the parents. Yeah, that's so. The church, then, one of the things that I'm I'm taking away from all of this is, I I think that the sense that I've gotten in being here is that this is kind of an abandoned place by the evangelical church, and I understand it to a degree. You know, the the musicians can't come in and sell out arenas because, well, right. you know, there's mostly Mormons yeah, yeah. here. I got it. It's happening more now than it used to. It's, yeah. it's starting to happen more. But, you know, I, I also just hear that, you know, they, people here feel kind of alone. And I would like to say to the church, I'll tell you what, you don't have to get a passport and take a missions trip to go overseas and find some people who don't know the Lord. You can come mm -hmm. right here. Mm -hmm. And the church, I think, needs to really be bolstered up with helping people. Because you know what happens when you come out of Mormonism, polygamist yeah. or not, yeah. the shunning the separation, oh, yes. absolute shunning. the loss of work, business, relationships, thanksgiving, all of it, and the church better be there to help support people. That's one of the reasons, or one of the focuses, I should say, on our ministry as well, is to, to bring our message that polygamy is alive and well and flourishing in the Intermountain West. It honestly is. But the church yeah. outside of the Intermountain West, they, 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 it, they can't believe. That is still going. They they say, is that still going on? I thought mm -hmm. that was 150 years ago. Yeah. That's still going on. Yeah. Polygamy's mushrooming, and it's soon going to be up 
for whether it should be legalized. Now, if you're suggesting we're on a slippery slope <laughs> because of the new laws about homosexuality, well, I, and you know what, and they would be, and the truth is they would be right if you based the reasoning on the present reasoning for same-sex marriages, we've got to let people love each other. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so that argument is entirely valid. So I think in order for Christians to enjoin that little battle, we need to be bringing it from a biblical perspective, not sociological, not from studies. This is what God says. Mm -hmm. This is why. And just like how many wonderful pro-life ministries are there? A lot. Mm -hmm. uh, what I'm seeing here in Utah is we, we basically need like pro out of Mormon ministries to help people because they're unique challenges. Mm -hmm. You know, if you, mm -hmm. you leave the Catholic Church and you become a Protestant or one denomination over another, not a big deal. It's a big deal it's here. A big deal. It's a huge deal. And this, is, this requires some special needs and some special ministries. And it I think does. it would be good for the greater church to be very aware of what's happening here. I agree with you. Um, again, that's one of the focuses of this ministry is to get the message outside of the state. That's why we, we created the, one of the reasons we created the DVD, Lifting the Veil of Polygamy, which by the way, I've got a couple to give to you. Uh, those who are living a high standard, this culture, whether it is Mormonism or polygamy, demand a high standard of living. There's nothing wrong with that. Morality, there's nothing wrong with morality. Um, but they have the perfect standard of like perfection <sighs> has has to be the goal. It's a law. Uh, the I'm the exhausted works related just religion. thinking about it. But they'll say when when they fail. But I tried, and mm. God knows my heart. Sure. And because yeah. He knows my heart, He's just so I'm going to be okay. Yeah. What's wrong with that? The problem is God knows my heart, <laughs> and it's deceitful and it's, wicked above all things. Who can know it? Yeah. I'm self-deceived. Uh, That's my problem. I think God I'm good. But God loves you anyway because you failed, so it's okay if you failed. Uh, well, yes and no. It's <laughs> My sins are forgiven, but what we see in Christianity is it's a war with sin. We don't like sin, and we don't dismiss sin, we never minimize it, and we don't talk like the people Paul apparently was addressing in Romans 6, 1, when he said, do I go on sinning that great grace might more abound? Certainly mm -hmm. not. Mm -hmm. So. Trying is nice, but the reality is we all fall short of God's standard and we need forgiveness. So sin is nothing to be trifled with before we're saved or after we're saved, but Jesus forgives the sin. God doesn't just overlook it because you tried. Now, that, what is that? But your trying paid for your sin. What is the gospel? Jesus, Jesus paid for your sin. For so even if it's an effort of trying, even though I fail to atone for my own sins, then it's not the right atonement. I know Glenn Beck and others love to talk about the atonement, that Jesus made it possible for them right. to get to heaven. No, Jesus didn't make it possible. The atonement guarantees you will go to heaven if you repent and put your trust in him. Mm -hmm. Guarantees it. It's 100%. There's Done. Not, there's not 50% and then 50%. Uh, plague in this culture that people carry huge guilt trips of unworthiness and personal failure. And that's in the culture of people. Uh, I've, I've worked with people who've come out of Mormonism as well as out of polygamy, and they don't know how to deal with guilt. They will no longer be that from the Mormonish culture, but and they are a Christian, but they carry guilt, mm -hmm. huge guilt. We yeah. work with it, God is love, perfect love drives out fear. And there's no guilt when there's no sin and your sins are washed away. Do you have uh, a word of encouragement there for uh, yeah, you know, maybe instruction on that? Well, I, you know, I would, I would simply say that we don't want to be miserable comforters. 
And sometimes we can do that, I think, as Christians. You know, if I see somebody and I think maybe they're feeling too bad about something and tell them to snap out of it, Jesus loves you, he died for your sins, now get on with it. Yeah. Well, I think that's being a, that's be like being Job's friends. So I think that we have to be careful and remind people, you know what? Maybe decades have been really filled with sin. They've just really been dirty and they've been very bad. And you know what? It's okay to feel bad about that, but don't feel guilty. Mm -hmm. Okay, there's a it's okay, Christians, we can feel bad about it. Mm -hmm. But God will, with time and the application of a word, give a perspective to it. He will give a greater perspective to the theology of why this happens, why the world runs the way it does. So I would say, first of all, if you feel bad, that's okay. We want to make sure those emotions are right. Mm -hmm. Maybe you've caused a train wreck and you've left a wake behind you that has left devastation. You know, it's okay to feel bad about that. But now let's not feel guilty. Let's get to the foot of the cross where you know that your sins are forgiven. And now God will go about healing that and he will make it better and you'll have a better perspective. And believe it or not, one day you'll be able to look back and praise God for it. Because you'll see things more from his perspective. So I don't want to rush people through that. But at the same time, I don't want to, I, I, you don't want to leave people, though, lingering in despair right. and feeling guilty because guilt. God wants us to have joy. Mm -hmm. And I think that if you're not having joy in your Christian walk because you are always feeling bad about the past, you're not applying the gospel the way you should. The gospel declares finished, right. done. Um, and so if you're lingering there too long, you're, you're thinking what might be happening is an inverted self-righteousness. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Focus sins, on self. Too much focus on too self. Too much focus on self. And my feeling bad actually helps God forgive and he helps God be pleased with me. Yeah. No, it doesn't. Yeah, it's a penance thing. Yeah, it is a, it a bit of do. a penance thing, which yeah. is our default position. Mm -hmm. Run to Jesus. Be reminded that he did the work. He paid the penance, if you will. Mm -hmm. Don't think that you've done it. And yeah. in time, God will heal all of those things. Uh, uh, this is one of those things you talked about. The Christians really need to be here and, and help out with this culture, especially when people come out of Mormonism or polygamy. The guilt trip oh, is one of the hugest sure problems that they have to sure, suffer through of and face course it is. and learn how to deal with. Yeah. Because this culture loads the guilt on, yeah. on the, sure. the sinner. Yeah. They, they do that. Now, I, I want to talk... Um, but let me, let me say this, though. Right. You know, are there degrees of sin? I think so. You know, there's some sins that are worse than others. I think we see that in Romans 1. I think we see that when Jesus says it'll be worse for you than Sodom and Gomorrah. So there seems mm -hmm. to be more sins or sins of... Okay, I got it. Okay. I under, Look, I got sins. I got sins of my sins. Now, they're different than, my, than your sins, but I got mine. You've got yours. Jesus forgives all of them. All sin. Okay, all of all them. All sin. And in doing so, it demonstrates more His glory. So guess what? You know what? You, you were in a bad situation. You're in a sinful place. And you know what? It's going to make Jesus look better. So that time that you spent in that is actually going to glorify God even more. So be understanding the gospel. When we feel guilty, I didn't say feel bad, but when we feel guilty, we're not remembering the gospel. So the healing for the polygamist, for the for anybody, will be the gospel. Last night, heard from a Mormon bishop. He was in he was in mm -hmm. the church for sixty three years. Now that could be a fellow who would look back and go, "I wasted my life. Yeah. I, I could have been yeah. doing stuff." For, it was not a waste, because God rescued a guy who was in Mormonism for sixty three years, who was a bishop. 
Now, how kind is Jesus? So his life is used to point at Jesus to make Jesus look great. And that is a life that was worth living. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. On January 16th of this year, you one of the shows that you were doing during that time dealt with the global sex trade. Mm-hmm. And during that show, you said that sexual slavery is much bigger than the black slavery mm-hmm. ever was. Yeah. Naturally, as I was watching that show, I, my mind went to polygamy because it seems like, well, well, you mentioned that the average, average age of the girl that is sold into sexual slavery in the United States is 13 years old. Joseph Smith took two wives who were 14 years old. Warren Jeffs, before he got thrown mm. in, in prison down in Texas, he took a couple of 12-year-old brides. And for years, it has been nothing for older polygamous men to take these younger brides in the polygamy group. They consider it part of the, just part of what we do. What would you categorize polygamy as being sexual, sexual slavery, and why? Oh, it's, well, <laughs> where to begin with, with, with a young girl of that age? I mean, children still, really. Uh, you know, I think in this culture, you know, I, I think I just figured out a way that you could get all of America upset about this, rightly so. They're bullies. Bullying is bad in America these days, and that's a bully who through intimidation, through size, through status, imposes his will on a 14-year-old girl. That's, that's, just, that's just wickedness. Uh, that isn't love. That's, it sure isn't, that isn't love. love. That's for sure. And, it, and if it brings somebody into a system unwillingly, I think that fairly falls underneath man-selling. Historically, we've seen indentured servitude. We've seen it in the Bible, and we wonder, was that slavery? Not when we think of slavery, American slavery. We think Kunta Kinte. We think mm-hmm. that's not what it was. Mm-hmm. It actually was a kindness back then. It was more of an employment relationship, always with a way for somebody to get out to of get it. get out of it eventually. Mm-hmm. So that they could somehow be released from this. Well, and even the year of Jubilee, everybody was set free. And so... Man-selling was condemned in the Bible Mm -hmm. because it takes somebody from their home or their place where they choose to be and forces them to live underneath somebody unjustly. Now that sounds like polygamy to me with children. And so they don't have a choice. They the girl well their choice their only choice is being coming a son of perdition because if they say no and they don't dare say no when they're that old that young I should say uh, their their only alternative is damnation. God will damn you. Yeah, you know, there's that we think sometimes about abuse. We think sexual abuse. We think physical abuse. But you know, there's emotional and spiritual Absolute. abuse. And that is any mm-hmm. time that you use God to mm-hmm. get somebody to behave in a way that is not mm-hmm. biblical, that is a pretty high form of evil. It is. It is. And and you mentioned the 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 sexual um, how you know it's all coming together where you're free to do all these sexual. Uh, um, preferences in our mm-hmm. country is getting that way, but you know that doesn't change our message, our message at all in this ministry to polygamists, because they claim that polygamy is commanded by God, right. and our message will always be the same: God didn't command it. Right. Jesus is the only Savior. Polygamy is not your Savior. Right. So no matter what happens, that message will not change. Yeah. You mentioned on that show about the the uh, sexual slavery that was going on. You said, "Wake up." What do you want us to wake up to? Yeah, that's hard. Here's what I, here's what I here's what I don't want to do. 
I don't want to tell somebody exactly what to do and make maybe my thing their thing. Yeah. Something we tend to do. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes, in fact, we get sermons like oh, this. Yeah. We get a guest preacher <laughs> and they're involved in, let's say, you know, helping kids get out of the sex trade. And if you're a good Christian, you'll get involved you'll too. And it's it, like, well, yeah. hold on, time out. Um, you know, they might be involved in the pro-life ministry. They might right now be stepping aside from ministry because of a hurt in the family. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to make my thing your thing. But when we see an evil going on in society, I think there's something we can learn from the Old Testament. God doesn't like it. God doesn't like people who are being abused and who are being used in such a way that is sinful. God doesn't like that injustice. And so I think he does call us to try to seek justice for the poor and the downtrodden. I didn't endorse welfare with that statement, by the way. I didn't say that we <laughs> take from one people to give to another. You know, unfortunately, so many liberals have caused us to feel bad about even talking about, you know, Malik, do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. That actually is something that we should be doing to seek justice for these people. So if you see the sex trade issue as something that is an abomination, study it, find out what's going on, and see if you can get involved. And if nothing else, we can all be praying about this. And then with the polygamy, the sex trade is they're trading, they're trading sexual f favors, if you will. I don't know if favors is the right word, but their sexual life on here on this planet for for salvation. Yeah, it's yeah. A, it's a it's so a that the church should be should be price. seeing these. We should see these things, and we should never become so desensitized. Like oh, if I see one more distended belly of a kid in Africa, we should never feel like that. We yeah. should see that. And it should break our hearts. And this would be my, my admonition to conservative Christians who are listening. Sometimes we are a little bit more influenced by conservative talk radio than we are by our Savior. Hey, those people are there because, well, they're not educated and they're lazy and they should get a job and they shouldn't be living in a place like that. And we dismiss it caustically and casually as if, well, we just need better government programs and better education and then these these people and they just need to get with the program and stop being lazy like i don't know how they got there but as a christian i don't care hmm. they're there yeah, exactly. i don't care how they got, i don't That's i don't care how somebody got in polygamy i want to help them and i don't care how somebody got in the sex trade I, I don't care why somebody's on welfare okay look this has nothing to do with the bloated budget yeah. somebody's not right let's go help those people yeah. Exactly, the, the, the love of Jesus. And, and going back to that, actually, I, I'm sure you get the same thing in response to your show as, as we often do on ours, and that is we, we are told... Shut up, you love Shut idiot. up, yeah. <laughs> why don't you just, why don't you just talk about Jesus' love oh, rather no. than try to push your views on us? What's wrong with that, their idea of tolerance here? They're pushing their views on me. That's the problem. <laughs> they are, aren't I they? Had, one of my... One I got to tell you, you know that that, that it's a it's a, just a brilliant trick of the devil, actually. You know the, the tolerance and tolerance trick. Yeah. We're intolerant of everybody but you. You know, fascinating. There was a uh, there was I was out at the campus uh, preaching and uh, at UGA, and this what this you know don't impose your values. How dare you do this? You need to stop doing this. You need to get off this campus and you need to start helping us with our homework and you need to start helping out at the local shelter. Okay, so what just happened? It's obvious. Well, to us. She didn't like my views. Yeah. So she used the tolerance and tolerance trick to shut me up and then impose her values on me. Yeah. And so, yeah. look, values are everywhere. And the question is whose values are right? Yeah. That's really the question. And I'm not a big fan of saying my values are right because they work out better for society. 
My values do work out better for society, but here's the problem in our day and age of pollstering and surveying and sociological studies. I've got a study that says homosexuality is bad for kids. Well, I've got one that says it's good for kids. Okay, now what do we do? Yeah. So the question is whose values are right? Here's what I say. My values come from God, thus saith the Lord. Right? The Bible says it. I'm not a genius. It's pretty clear. Mm -hmm. So this is what I think God says. Now, you say that your values are right. Where do you get your authority? Yourself? You'll have to forgive me, but I'm going to have to go with God on this one. That's good. So I think my position is far more humble by saying, look, I'm submitting to God's values. You're writing your own. Mm -hmm. You're creating your own standard, and you're citing yourself as the authority. I would invite you to say, ask the question, who really is being more pride-filled here? Because mm -hmm. you're the religion of you. We're representing the religion of Jesus. So mm -hmm. I think we're... We're far less arrogant because we're admitting we don't have the answers. We've got it all messed up. Yeah, God has we, it right. We turn it on to him. Yeah. Um, a final question. And actually, this isn't a question, but more of what I would like you, knowing as little as you do about our ministry and polygamy in this culture and what Joseph Smith did to bring it about, explain to our polygamous viewers why even if polygamy were uh, a requirement or even acceptable to God why is trying to be righteous enough to earn eternal life a guarantee of self-defeat and eternal regret yeah I'm gonna answer your question by not even talking about polygamy okay okay let's think about our hearts and our heads for a second right and if we're thinking I'm going to do something to get myself there. How much doing would it take to cover for the number of lies that you and I have told? Now, I just read some study where it says we lie like seven times a day. Hmm. I tell them I'm not, I'm not home. I can't come in today. Uh, my muffler's broken. Um, you know, uh, go ahead and I, fudging a little here or there at the grocery store. You know, I, I, you know, I didn't bring this with me, but I do have the coupon at home. Whatever it happens to be, we lie perpetually. How much goodness is it going to take to make up for those lies? Let's talk about another area. How's about blasphemy? Now we say, well, I, I don't use OMG, but if you claim to be a Christian and you do anything that is sinful, that is not representing God rightly, you blaspheme God. Mm -hmm. Because then people can that's look true. and go, oh, that's why I don't think we should have those little fish bumper stickers. Because I'll tell you, <laughs> it allows people to look at it and go, yeah, some Christian, uh, some Christians. <laughs> but think about the lust in our hearts, the number of times that we've perhaps entertained a thought and dwelt on an image in our brain or on another person that's God's child that, that, was, that was dirty. Now, how much good would we need to make up for mm. that? What about coveting, desiring things that we don't need, mm -hmm. basically accusing God that your provision for me is not good enough, so mm -hmm. we then again shake our fist at God and blaspheme through our coveting? What about driving and thinking somebody's a moron, Jesus said that's murdering in your heart mm -hmm. because God looks far beyond the details of what we do externally. God goes inward and he sees what's going on in our hearts. Now, that's just a few sins of the thou shalt nots. What about the law of love mm -hmm. that demands you love everybody perfectly, totally, completely? Have you and I done everything we can to support, to help, to get people out of the sex trade, to give our money to, to support, to take care of the orphans and the widows? Hardly. What about loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Right. Total love and devotion for God. Mm -hmm. 
How much have we failed in that commandment, the law of love? And how can we change that failure? We can't change that failure. So think about it in those terms. Now, I don't care what it is that you devise. What can I do with dirty hands to make up for my sins? You cannot. You cannot do anything to make up for it. And that's the problem. And God knew it, and he has the solution. Jesus, Jesus, he was a man because he had to be our representative, but he's God because if it were just a man dying, it wouldn't be enough to pay for my sins. Mm -hmm. So it was the fully God-man, Jesus Christ, who died to take away your sins, to completely forgive you and to credit you with the righteousness that he earned by fulfilling all the laws, never lusting, never lying, never dishonoring parents, fulfilling all righteousness perfectly, credited to my account. My plan is going to leave me falling so short, and not just falling short, but it's going to leave me under the wrath of God because he's mad about sin. Mm -hmm. He was so mad he punished his son for it, pouring out his wrath on his son. So I can strive and try, but my conscience tells me I got big trouble here. Or I can meekly turn to the Savior and see what he has done for me and be broken by it, humble myself, throw out my work-righteous systems, apologize, turn from my wicked ways, and run to the Savior, not because I'm scared of hell, but because he was so kind to save me from hell, mm -hmm. because he's the best thing there is, and I surrender to him, and I no longer strive with my own works, but I rest in his. So that's what I would say to somebody who thinks they need to earn their way through anything, and giving, he's... polygamy, sacrifice, yeah. You, you can't do enough. And when you said he's the best thing there is, he is the best. He's best of any, uh, for any works, like you say, that, that can be devised, including the works of polygamy. That's he's right. certainly the very best. Right. And he's given. We especially thank Todd Friel for taking the time to give us an interview while he was here. And for your information, he is dedicating a full week of his own television shows to focus on Mormonism and its claims that it is Christian. I understand that those shows will begin next week and they'll be aired here on KTMW TV 20 at 9 p.m. Monday through Friday. And next week, our guest will be former polygamist Kristen Decker, and she has written a book entitled 50 Years in Polygamy, Big Secrets and Little White Lies. So we want to thank you for watching our show tonight. And remember, it's Jesus who saves, not celestial marriage. See you next week on Polygamy. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.